You're about to learn a lot more about Ford's marketing plans. This is AutoLine. The car market is in terrible shape. Car buyers are reeling from the credit crisis. Dealers are going out of business left and right. So how do you sell cars in this kind of environment? Well, we're gonna get to the bottom of that on today's show, or at least get an expert's insight. My guest for today's show is Jim Farley, the Group Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the Ford Motor Company. Farley, as many of you know, was lured away from Toyota to help Ford turn itself around. And what was already going to be an enormous responsibility is now all the more so, with the terrible shape that the economy is in. Joining me on my journalist panel for today's show are Amy Wilson from Automotive News and David Kiley from Business Week. We'll be getting Jim Farley's insight as to what's going on in the market right now and how Ford plans to deal with all the turmoil. So don't go away. We'll be back right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Extra, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get the inside view at AutolineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion right now with Jim Farley, the Group Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the Ford Motor Company. Great to have you back here on the set of AutoLine. Good to be here, John. And also joining us right now are Amy Wilson from Automotive News and David Kiley from Business Week. Great having you both here, too. Thank, Thank you. you. Jim, we got the news this week of January sales. Abysmal. I mean, really bad. Is there any silver lining out there? I know one of the things that Ford had talked about is maybe retail sales are starting to firm up some. Well, uh, it was an interesting month because we saw some uh, very lumpiness by week. Uh, the first two weeks started off a lot stronger than we expected, everyone across the industry, and then it weakened a lot. Uh, I think there wasn't much uh, silver lining, to be honest. The only silver lining uh, we could see is that the retail part of the total industry continues to be about 8.5 million units for the last four months. So the retail demand seems to have hit the trough. Um, the big story in January was rental and fleet. They dropped off the, the face of the earth. The then. face of the earth. In fact, um, the only, only brand that did more in terms of fleet, I think, was Hyundai, but everyone else was down, you know, 80, 90, 60%. It was a dramatically different. One of the reasons is we took so much production out, all of us, there wasn't any rental vehicles to deliver. But really the business cycle, the business travelers and holiday traffic is so far off the rental companies with the liquidity had to really change their deliveries. Do you read much into this that January started out stronger than expected ended week? I mean, is this a deterioration in confidence or is that reading too much into it. Well, no, I, I no, I think uh, there's a really good explanation of why the first two weeks were stronger than the last, and that is because almost every brand, including luxury, extended their incentives into the first two weeks of January. Um, and in fact, if you if you noticed, almost every brand started their year-end event in early November. 
So what we saw is just, you know, we, we usually see a large drop off in January, which is included in the SAR factor and the weighting of the month because the incentives just stop at the end of Jan December since it's the year-end event for almost everyone. They were extended, so I think just consumers and dealers kept, you know, working the customers they had. Jim, uh, in a market like this, there's, there's just so many fewer people in the marketplace. Are you, have you had to sort of change your, your tools and come up with new tools to try to zero in on the few people who are in that narrow end of the sales funnel? Uh, you, you know, is it, it's, is, is it a whole different game than it was, you know, eight months ago in terms of your marketing mix and messaging and what you're doing? It absolutely is. Uh, to be honest, the, the fourth quarter of this year, we changed our tactics a lot because we saw that the people who are shopping today are pretty different than even the people in the third quarter. They are people that are basic replacement cycle, especially pickup truck segment. Mm -hmm. um, and they, what they're looking for is uh, very transactional type of incentives. Mm -hmm. So things that help with their negative equity, even more so than the third quarter. Uh, and our tactical marketing has to be a lot more fit. What we're trying to do is really align uh, our year-end sales event, for example, with Lincoln, which we never included in the past on a year-end event together, and a really simple message. We did employee pricing plus. Uh, we had October truck month. Just a super simple message to the customer so they understood what our incentive strategy was going to be. Jim, there's been a lot of heavy incentives in the market the last yeah. few months, but it moderated a little it bit did. in January. Mm -hmm. Is it just a waste of money at this point? It's a great, I, I think it's a great question. Uh, the, the shift in incentives in, in January, pretty interesting. Actually, cars stayed pretty robust. It was the trucks that de-escalated, and a lot of that was just because the 08 sell-down, especially for Ram and us and, frankly, Chevy, uh, getting out of the 08s and 09s, the truck business such a driver for overall average incentive weights. As they came down, as we all transitioned to nines, um, the overall incentives came down. But actually, if you look under the covers, the car incentives actually haven't uh, moderated as much as trucks at all. In fact, in some brands, they've gone up. The Senate this week uh, approved legislation to allow car buyers to write off the interest on their car loans. Do you think that's going to help? And, and uh, as a follow-up to that, if you could wave your magic wand and tell the cars are or whatever group it is that's trying to help the industry, what would you tell them to get car sales going again? I think the difference between a 10 million unit SAR, eight and a half million unit retail SAR, and you know 12 or 13 million unit SAR is all up in customers' heads. Uh, it is not necessarily, um, you know, the economic benefit they're going to get tomorrow. It's just that they're going to have more confidence about their wealth effect or their job and that it's time to go out and replace a product. You know, cars on average now in the U.S. are over nine years old. So we have a very old fleet, especially in the smile zone of the country. Um, so really it's the consumer's mindset that the stimulus bill has to affect. And, if, and frankly, as much as I'm interested in the fleet modernization uh, discussions we're having in the stimulus bill, or as you mentioned, um, you know, tax advantages for the monthly payment, the most important part of the stimulus package is the meat and potatoes of, of the stimulus package so that people feel more confident in their wealth and their job and they'll go out and spend. What do you think of the, the Hyundai uh, customer assurance or whatever the name of it is where you can walk away? They were one of the few brands that was up last month. They were and uh, I think a lot of it had to do with their CUV performance. Um, 
I give him a lot of credit because uh, you know that kind of creative thinking is exactly what we need to your point on the incentive side. Can't tell if that's the root cause. The research we've done with customers say they're pretty skeptical of you know warranty extensions and gas cards. They understand they're kind of you know just incentives disguised as something else. But it does seem like Hyundai had a very good month, even retail, and uh, I, I wouldn't discount the impact of that security for people. Oh, I was just going to um, say your plan counts on a sales lift in the second half yes. versus where sales are today. Yes. Is it the stimulus uh, bill alone that will deliver that, or are there things that you as a manufacturer can do to, to change the mindset of the consumer? It's a great question. I would say there's a couple things in the stimulus bill uh, and, and the, what the government's doing that we think will help us in the second half of the year. One is the liquidity. There's been just an enormous amount of liquidity that, that that's the, through the government's actions that should start to help with the credit markets in the later half of the year. And there's a pretty long cycle time of when that you know makes its way down to customers. Uh, and then the stimulus bill, we definitely think will have some benefit to customers, especially their psychology. Uh, what we're doing is launching a lot of product. Uh, Ford's in a very unusual situation, I would say, and I get the question all the time, boy, you know, you launch a lot of products, kind of an odd time. Well, you know, we all know it, it takes years to develop these products. It was in the plan, and um, frankly, I'm very thankful to be launching. Uh, we, we have almost 43% of our volume this year is brand new product uh, by sales weight. And if you add Flex and MKS and, and F-Series from last year, it's over 60%. So I think what we can do at Ford is really launch those products professionally. I wonder if you think, as I do, that we're really not going to see consumer confidence for buying cars rebound until people start opening their 401k and 529 statements and start seeing the arrow going up mm -hmm. instead of down. To me, that's such a, a monthly and quarterly, you know, sort of reinforcement of the way things are and people's willingness. And, 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 and it really hits middle class, which is, which, which is the meat of your market. Is that, do, do, do you feel that? I think the wealth effect uh, is you know, how people are feeling about the security of their wealth and, um, and their net value. I, I'd say, you know, frankly, for many people, our research shows is that their home price, their home value is stabilized or going up. That, in our research, has shown the biggest confidence booster in, in their buying behavior is really their home. Because so many Americans have used their home as uh, you know, home equity loans, et cetera. And that's one of the encouraging things is if rates were to come down and people start to refinance their house, or most importantly, the stabilization of the housing values, I think, frankly, would be. But the 401k, or as some people say, the 201k now right. effect uh, is, is um, for all of us. I mean, let's face all of them. Mm -hmm. you know, all of us have the same reaction. But I think the house price for us in the car business is something we watch like a hawk. Mm -hmm. I changed uh, topics for a second and talk about product. One of the things that's in the air right now is um, the chatter about California emissions mm -hmm. standards being yes. accepted and them getting a waiver from the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a window on how if that, if they get the waiver and if their standard as we know it kicks in and these other states follow suit, what that will do to change the Ford lineup? Uh, in order to meet those requirements? Well, it's, it's a really fundamental question because there is such a huge gap between, you know, the California plan and, and what we've seen for, for CAFE that, you know, was just finalized last year. 
you know, there, there are two big thoughts. Obviously, for the manufacturer, having a patchwork of regulation is very challenging from a logistics standpoint. Um, and there were years in the past where we had high altitude packages and et cetera, et cetera, and this would make that look like um, a cakewalk. But from, from the consumer standpoint, the biggest impact, and frankly, I'm surprised the little debate that's being had on the consumer side is a mix of product. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest impact is not so much what you do to your lineup from a product development standpoint, because Ford is radically changing our powertrain and becoming a lot, you know, world-class in fuel economy. The biggest change is you gotta drive to Nevada to buy F-Series. If mm -hmm. you're a contractor in LA, or frankly, Fresno, you know, California is one of the biggest uh, um, agricultural markets in the world. And uh, for all those consumers who need a truck to do their job, um, we would have to adjust, depending on what the standard is finalized, adjust our mix. And, uh, you know, you could drive to Nevada and buy a truck, uh, no problem. But how is that going to affect customers in terms of the mix we sell? Mm -hmm. That is what we see as the biggest impact, uh, not just the technical aspects of compliance. It's the mix of what we sell. So would you be facing a situation where you had demand to make up a number for 80,000 F-Series trucks, but maybe in order to satisfy the regulation, you could only sell... 60,000 or 50,000 in that particular year and so you're leaving 30,000 on the table or for them to have to go out of state there. or sell none or sell none and uh, the cross-border sales uh, the whole distribution part of consumers it's going to be very odd and I think there's a dynamic that that could play out here where the consumer voice in this may pop up after the regulations have been passed and we'll see kind of how it all gets resolved uh, there's a real chance that if, you know, regulations change, um, that the consumers won't really know the impact of them until they go to the dealership and say, well, I, I'd like to buy, you know, that diesel truck for my contracting business. Oh, I'm sorry, we, we, we won't be offering that this month. Okay. You have said that fuel economy is going to become a bigger part of your marketing pitch yes. this year. Yes. But is it as convincing of a, of a pitch when gasoline is $2 a gallon? Boy, I mean, there's not a night that I don't go to sleep thinking about <laughs> what you just said. Uh, and and I, I'm really in, interested to see what the uh, stimulus package brings in terms of fleet modernization, because at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have to see some kind of um, extraordinary impact for customers to act differently. We've seen a complete reversal of consumer behavior on segmentation. I, I remember, John, actually, you brought it up in the middle of May and June, where he said, you know, you never know about this stuff, and lo and behold, here we are. And uh, in the fourth quarter, pickup trucks were 14, 15% in the industry again, just like they were in February. Um, Americans react quickly, just like they did in May and June. I think it's. Uh, I think there's a wealth effect going on where people are being careful about what they buy. The funny thing about fuel economy, it's a proxy for quality and safety. Uh, there's almost a perfect correlation between brands that are known for fuel economy are also known for quality and safety. So for us as a brand, especially with the Fusion launch coming up, um, the fuel economy is the number one reason why someone leaves the Ford franchise. Who owns a Ford. So we have to change our people's opinion of our brand around fuel economy. Everybody's rushing into the plug-in market, yeah. the pure electric, battery yes. electric vehicle market. What kind of demand do you see for this? I mean, is it going to be in significant numbers or is this just going to be a niche market for a decade or so to come? 
Well, it's hard to tell at this point because we don't know what the government's um, policy is going to be. And I think just like the moonshot, if electrification is a big idea for the new administration, um, things happen. Uh, and it does seem like consumers, I mean, there was only a couple years ago that consumers are really fascinated with fuel cell and a lot of other technology. It seems like electrification has really caught the kind of hearts and minds of Americans at the consumer level. So I think there is something there. The question is, what is the battery ownership a model going to look like? Because that battery is so expensive, could be more expensive than the whole vehicle. Um, so the question is, and I'm starting to see better place and a lot of other kind of new um, structures around the battery ownership, you know, leasing the battery, et cetera, et cetera. I think um, depending on policy and some new models around battery ownership, electrification, even pure electrification could get uh, going a lot faster than we expect. Of course, everyone said, oh, you know, customers won't buy a car that only gets 100 miles range which is sort of where the small pure battery electrics are right now. What's your research tell you? Would they buy those kinds of cars? It's interesting. Uh, we have some customers. We're going to be um, uh, doing an electric um, uh, commercial vehicle and uh, actually next year. And uh, with our commercial, we, we have number one share in the commercial market. We do have uh, quite a few um, uh, small metro fleet owners or commercial owners who are very interested in, in battery electric. The issue for them is just the cost of the infrastructure. Who's going to pay for that charging station for them? I think that's one of the reasons why plug-ins are so interesting. Um, and all of us are investing. We've been investing uh, with a f test fleet with Southern California Edison. Obviously, GM and, and every other company is really doing a lot with plugins. But to me, plugins really give you that flexibility. It's it's costly because you have a duplicate power source on board. But I think it it's it could be uh, meaningful for the customer. The vehicle that you're talking about is the Transit Connect. Last year, you talked about Transit Connect as a taxi cab, and I have to admit it's, it would be the best taxi cab in America. What does the model uh, look like going forward for that for cities like New York, Chicago, LA, Washington? It's interesting. You know, um, the, the uh, taxi cab owners just sued the city and won, and uh, they're ordering Crown Fix again. Um, and gas is, you know, less than two bucks a gallon. So things change really quickly. But I, I, I personally think, uh, and it's not just my opinion, it's Ford's opinion too, that in urban areas right now, we're seeing a real transformation of thinking around fuel economy. And, and electrification. And I do think that we're going to see more and more cities uh, mandate even uh, a technical solution for taxi cabs, commercial vehicles, and city use. We've seen this transition happen in Europe already. Um, it, it manifests itself a little differently there where you have to kind of pay to play mm -hmm. to go down to central London. But I, I would say the Bostons, the San Francisco's, the DC's, the New York's of the world, we're going to start to see uh, quite a bit of, of new activity around the commercialization of electric vehicles or hybrids uh, in, in the taxi and commercial fleets. Mm -hmm. You're a marketing guy, and we've been talking about fuel economy and what happens to the, these products at uh, when gas is two dollars a gallon. I keep waiting for an automaker to advertise their product. You know, smart at two dollars a gallon, brilliant when it goes back to four fifty. You know, because a lot of people, I guess, they forget how miserable it was to try to gas up uh, 
you know, a minivan and it cost a hundred bucks or you went over the $75 limit at the pump. Yep. But can you market directly to sort of remind people that these are smart vehicles to buy no matter what the gas prices are? It's a great suggestion. I think I'm going to take that one on. <laughs> uh, but uh, to be honest, because, you know, we are launching so many vehicles with fuel economy leadership. We have the Fusion coming up, both gas and hybrid. And, you know, uh, we're going to be marketing as the most fuel-efficient midsize sedan. I, I do think that is important, especially for a brand like Ford. Mm -hmm. Ford is a brand that now has world-class powertrains, but there's a lag of consumer, you know, acknowledgement of that. And, you know, we have to get creative about connecting to customers. Customers now know that no matter what it is today, it's going to be different tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think... Uh, your suggestion really is to tap into that, you know, frankly, insurance policy thinking, mm -hmm. um, because I think everyone in America knows gas is going to be three, four bucks a gallon again. They just don't know when. Mm -hmm. yeah, Jim, you have a lot of dealers who are really hurting right now. And yeah. You've um, done a lot of work the last couple of years to get your dealer count down. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, how close are you to the ideal dealership footprint? How much longer will it take you to get there? And then what can you do right now just to keep some of your dealers in key points going and getting them through this difficult economy? Uh, well, I, I would say, frankly, in Ford's case, you know, these are dealers uh, like my grandfather who have been dealers for 75 or 100 years. I've been to some of the, you know, and they've had to let go a lot of people to reduce their expenses. There's a couple things we can do. Um, as far as the dealer number for us, since we've kind of simplified our brands quite a bit, and we've been working on that for several years, for us, um, it's trying to get the throughput in metro markets where the dealers can make good, healthy profit. The question is, where's the industry gonna be? Mm -hmm. You know, w if I had answered that question eight months ago, I would have said, well, you know, we really need to plan for a, a 16 million, 17 million industry is kind of the right place to calculate your throughput in the major markets for, for dealer count throughput. And I would say, you know, today, I would answer that very differently. So the question for us that we're, that we're discussing now is where's that industry landing point where you plan your distribution so your dealers are profitable through the good and the bad times? Uh, what you can do, one of the things is we've seen dealers really cut back on their advertising. So we've done a dealer co-op program where we match their advertising because the last thing we need right now with new products is dealer not advertising. Mm -hmm. Second thing is we need to cut our inventories. We're the only major brand who shrunk our inventories, dealer stocks, in the fourth quarter. And that flooring cost is one of their biggest expenses. The most important thing we could do as a manufacturer right now, give them good product and make sure we don't stuff them full of product. And with that, we're going to have to wrap up this discussion. But we will keep these cameras rolling. We're going to move over to the Internet. If you'd like to join us there, please go there. But Jim Farley, thanks so much for coming on AutoLine. It's been great having you back here again. And Amy Wilson, David Kiley, thank you guys as well. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, we have more of our interview with Jim Farley, which you can watch right now on our website. We talk about Ford's plans for police cars, helping its dealers and what they call engagement marketing, probably the hottest topic in marketing right now. And if you need more of a daily dose of information about the auto industry, check out our daily webcast at AutolineDaily.com. We'll help you keep up with all the latest developments in the global automotive industry, from the latest products and technology to the breaking news that everyone will be talking about. But anyway, that wraps up today's show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.